I have not had coffee today. So uh, it may it may not mean much to you, but if you've been around me when I didn't get coffee, you'd be more fearful. That's pretty dangerous. Um, so I'm just going to do my best to stay awake through this whole sermon. I'll just ask you to do the same, if you will. Um, I also... Um, I had something to say about next week. What was I going to say? Oh, next week. I already shared with you that next week we're going to have the you know, service about that. This is also October, and that is Pastor Appreciation Month. I'm not reminding you because I want you to get me something, but you can. If, if you do, I won't reject that. No, but, uh, but I also want you to be here because um, I, I always expand that Pastor Appreciation to just sort of like all the people who, who play some pastoral role in the church in the life of someone else. And a heck of a lot of us are involved in that. So we're going to be, I, I, I want to I take that opportunity just to honor some of you guys and the work that you do in sort of leading your families and leading here in the church. So, um, so I ask you to be here for that. Um, also, next week, um, uh, the kids are doing something for a Halloween. Is that next week or two weeks? That is next week. Okay, good. So that's next week. So be here because the kids are going to come through. I think, I think we're going to do like some reverse trick-or-treating where they're going to give you something. And so that's going to be pretty fun, you know. Not very often do kids give you something. And so that's going to be pretty fun. Kids, I think we're going to try to get them to sing. We're going to see how it goes. We're at least going to stand them up here and play music. And so um, heck of a lot of good stuff next week. So, so be here next week. Um, all right, here we go. Do you guys ever, do you ever look at like a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, or just close friend, you look at them, you know, with love in your eyes and say, do you ever get a pain in your neck right there? I get a pain right there in my neck all the time. Anybody get that? I can't sit in the living room for like more than 15 minutes without hearing a whole bunch of ailments, you know? Do you ever get this pain in your neck? I get that all the time. I've been gassy for two weeks. No, I'm kidding. I don't get that. Um, you know, but should I go to the doctor for this? You know, I should, oh, Molly's sick with this. Should we go, you know, check on that? And then here I am, and I'm. And if it's something for me, I'm just Googling over here, WebMD, trying to see how serious it is. And, uh, and I'm doing the same this morning. I woke up. I had a crick in my neck, and then my lower back was starting to hurt. And I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm a 90-year-old and a... I mean, I'm a 31-year-old in a 90-year-old's body. Um, constant just worry about my physical state. Uh, this month, every year, I go get my cholesterol checked. Every year, it's been higher than the year before. And so I'm fretting that just a little bit. I like to think that I'm eating healthy. I tell my wife that I'm eating healthy. I sneak a lot of snacks at work. So um, I'm a little fearful about how that's going to come out. Um, but really, you know, we're, we're people that worry. I, I mean, I worry about all kind of things I can't control. Um, you know, I'm worried about how much I'm not saving. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about who my kid is going to become. Uh, we, we go places and she doesn't talk to anybody. And I'm like, she's going to be a recluse and never, you know, talk. She's going to live with me forever because she's afraid. And I just have all kind of scary fears about who she's going to become. And I just think that we are, if you're like me, and I don't imagine a lot of you are, we're some people that worry. And you know what's pretty interesting is when there are people that aren't anxious and aren't fretful and don't seem to worry all that much, it's like incredible. You notice those people and, and, and you have no idea what is so, what's got them so different. 
there are some people that seem to care for others and not worry about themselves. They're just constantly pouring out for somebody else like they don't have a concern for their own worries, and, and you just can't help but take notice. And I think that's rightly so because when people live that way, when people are able to sort of live free of that kind of fear, it's, it's because it's something outer-worldly. We have a sinful nature that causes us to be people that worry and concern about all kinds of stuff. But there's something in God that can be infused in us that allows us to not worry like that. Students worry about if, you know, people are going to laugh at their new shoes. Uh, my mom bought me Reeboks after Reeboks were cool. And I was worried that all the kids were going to laugh at me, and they did. Um, you're worried about your book report, you know, and you're worried about getting good grades. And then you get a little older, and the book report's a presentation that you don't put together until the night before. And you fret about it. And we got all kind of things to worry about. And adults are anxious about impressing the boss or losing a client or finishing a report or getting out of a bad investment or a strange pain in the chest, all kind of things to worry about. And we're just people that tend to, to, to dwell on those things. Sometimes it feels like when you get engulfed in, in one of those things that's rough, it feels like there's a, just something hanging over your head, almost like a, like a blanket, you know, and, and it's a little dark and it's challenging, and it can feel so hard to throw those things off. And then you see Jesus' command, and, and it says, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. He doesn't say you can be anxious every now and then. Come on, that's a normal part of life. No, he says be anxious for nothing. And when we see people who have found a way to do that, they just shine like light because it's incredible. Psalm 127. Uh, when I read Psalm 127, it's like it's this is the one piece in Scripture that seems so effective at taking that fog that can hang and just blowing that right past. Psalm 127, the thing that it does that's so great, it's not, it doesn't give you, it's not like commandments 11, 12, and 13. It doesn't give you a whole lot of extra rules to follow. It's not a three-step process. It's nothing like that. What it does is it gives us a solid reminder of who's in charge, and who's not in charge? So here it is, Psalm 127. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And here's the big idea of it all. Uh, as, you, as you look at this passage, there's another passage that sort of translates one of those verses a little bit differently, and, and I love how it says it. The big idea is, stop eating the bread of anxious toil. That's the way that the ESV says it. It says, stop eating the bread of anxious toil. In other words, stop working and worrying because, you've, because of your anxiety and your desire to control things. Stop worrying and, and, and worrying and working because of your desire to control things. This morning, I was sitting in the office. I walked outside. Molly's sitting on the couch. And, like, she literally just got out of the bed. And uh, she's sitting on the couch. I walk in, and I say, and I'm saying, like, good morning or something in my normal voice. And she's, shh, I'm on the phone. 
She's just in there with a play phone. And it's like from the moment she wakes up, she's just playing. Like not a concern at all about what the day holds. She, she wakes up all the time and she says, I can't remember them all. She says, is today a church day or a school day or a family day or a, what's the other one, Jess? Or, oh, she says girls day. That's a big one, you know, or is it girls day? And uh, never daddy day. We're working on that. But no idea what's coming for the day. No idea what we're going to do. She just wakes up, starts playing, and whatever the day holds, that's what it holds. And man, how freeing would that be to sort of to live like that? And I'm not talking about a lack of planning for the future, but a lack of worrying. And this ultimate trust that, that my dad is going to take care of me, my parents are going to take care of me, This is not, there's nothing that I have to worry about. God addresses worry in these verses in two ways. He addresses worry with two things in mind. One is provision and one is protection. And those are the two things that that get addressed here uh, and the the things that I think we worry about more than maybe anything else. I want to hit that first one first. I'm going to talk about provision. And essentially what God says to us is, don't worry about how you'll provide. Don't worry about how you'll provide. This coming from somebody who went to like nine years of college so that I could make a decent living, only to, you know, not even use half of it. But some concern about how I'm going to provide, and so I planned as much as possible. Here's the thing. I just want to be honest with you from from the get-go. Sometimes when you preach on something, people assume that you're the expert. This is going to be one of those areas where it couldn't be less true. I am in no way the expert. This is not a TED Talk. I don't know. I don't have all the expertise in this area. I, none of that. It used to be before I had kids, I had zero kids and 12 rules for good parenting. And I have two kids and, and lots of questions and no rules. Um, so that, this is like that, right? No, no expert. All I'm doing is trying to grab the word and divide the word as best as possible. Because for me, this is why this is such a challenge for me. It's hard because it's hard to provide. Because people need food, and, uh, and that's an important thing. And kids need clothes, and power must be had, and water must be drank or drunk or whichever one's proper. And, and now kids have to have homecoming T-shirts. And we've got a T-shirt you can wear most days of the week, but on Friday i wear a different T-shirt. And then, you know, for some reason we got white school shirts, and so now we need another one because this one's ruined. And we need all kind of things that kids have to, kids have to you know, get things for. I had to well, I work the gate at the Curtis game Friday so we could get lower tuition. And, and then, I, you know, I, I've sold a whole box of chocolates so that we could get lower tuition. And I'm just constantly working because there's so many things that have to be paid for. And one day college has to be paid for. Some of you guys are there now. Health insurance is mandatory. I got to find a way to pay for that. Cars need gas. I may want to retire one day. I may not be able to work till I die. I got to, I got to prepare for that. Whatever you do, if you're worried about money, don't meet with a financial advisor. (laughs) They just tell you all the money you don't have and and you're going to need $17 million to retire. And, uh, and it just makes you worry that much more. And all those things swirl around in my mind. And meanwhile, God in Philippians 4.19 says this. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How about that? Letter to the church at Philippi. Paul is is so sure that God's going to provide. He says, My God will supply every single need that you have. 
This is pretty interesting. Look what God does, okay? So you heard of the Tower of Babel. You got the Tower of Babel. You got the best architects, the best engineers, or whatever they called them at that time, the best builders. They all get together, and they say, we're all the best at what we do. We're going to build a tower that's going to be huge, and it's going to make us look good. Everybody's going to look over here and be like, man, these people, they've got it together. Look at this incredible thing that they've done. And they got all the best people, and they start building, and they're building an all for themselves and all for their own glory. And what does God do? He just comes down and wipes out the tower and spreads them out everywhere. I wonder how many times in my own life things have just gone terrible, and it was God saying, no, you're not going to do that, and he just crunches it and and spreads everything out and says, I'm going to push you in a different direction because this thing, this is not good for you. And when God doesn't want it to happen, it doesn't matter how much you prepare and plan, he doesn't let it happen. Uh, how about the Israelites are in the middle of the desert and, uh, and, and I, you know, I, we're buying groceries. I think buying groceries is like the worst thing in the world. You know, you park in the back of Walmart and then there's 86 people in line and I'm just not a big fan of buying groceries. And, uh, but yet here's Israel in the middle of the desert. I don't know why God doesn't do this for me. And they're really hungry and there's, and they need water and they need food. And God's like, oh, you guys need some food. I'm just going to make bread appear from heaven. Oh, you need some meat? The bread's not enough? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make meat fall into your camp every day, and you just walk outside and grab some. How's that for grocery shopping? And when God wants you to have something, he just gives you what you need. How about Saul? Saul in the Old Testament, man, he fretted about being in charge. He boasted about how great he was, and he fretted about anybody taking away his throne. He killed friends, he killed family, all kinds of people to try to stay in charge. And God had to remind him, hey, you didn't get there um, because of all your greatness. You got there because I put you there. And when Saul wouldn't recognize that, here's what God said. He said, seven times will pass you by. Until you acknowledge that the Most High, that God is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wishes. He says, seven times they're going to pass you by. That's like seven years are going to go by, and you're finally going to realize that I'm the one in charge. What happens to Saul in those seven years? Check this out. During those seven years, he went from king to this. He says, he ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. He went crazy. Because God said, if you, you know, I can give it and I can take it away as easily as I want. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. That feels like me sometimes. (laughs) unshaven, unkept. I, I could never find the fingernail clippers except for the big toenail clippers. Does anybody use those? Anybody use those? They're so huge. I don't know who could use those. Um, but this feels like me. It's like I'm so out of sorts and so worried, um, you know, and, and, and all the while I think I'm just looking like a mess trying to figure out how to do it all on my own. The reality is God never intended for you and I to take on all the stress of provision. And all the stress of providing. And God doesn't lay down specific rules for how, how, what time we get up and what time we go to bed and exactly how long that we work. And, and you know what? If the fruit of your labor, you know, you love your work and you love everything about it and that's not selfish ambition and you're not sacrificing your family and you're putting in 12 hours a day, then all, then go for it. And there's nothing wrong with getting paid really well for your work or not getting paid really well for your work. 
Um, there were some people in Scripture that loved the Lord that were really poor and some people that in Scripture that loved the Lord that were really rich. And there's no bearing particularly on how much you work or how much money you make. It's about why you do, it's about why you do those things. This is God's principle for those that he loves. It says, don't rise early and don't go to bed late because of anxiety. And don't worry or stress or, or, or fear because you're not in control. Because the reality is, you're not in control. And I'm not in control and you're not in control. So God says, don't stress about your ability to be the ultimate provider, but also don't stress about your inability to protect. This one makes me think of my children. Stressing about my ability to protect makes me think about them. I never felt so much of a need to protect until I, I had children. I think this is intentional. Right after these verses, if you actually if you have your Bible open, you'll see that the next two verses are actually about family and children and protecting them and that kind of thing. And I think that's because that's exactly where our mind goes. This is a pretty interesting tidbit about this that, that next passage. This, uh, this piece of Scripture, this is called a Psalm of Ascent. A-S-C-E-N-T. So like ascending. So here's what would happen. People would take this and like 11 other psalms, and, and, and three times a year they had these big festivals in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem sat on top of a big hill. So here's what they would do. They would ascend up the hill, and as they would ascend or walk up the hill, they would sing these 12 psalms. And what I think is pretty interesting is one of the 12 psalms that they're all singing is about parenting. And I think it gives us a pretty good idea of how parenting is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be one parent with bags under their eyes struggling to make it, right? The whole community sang the psalm of ascent as if they're all in charge of parenting these people. And we're supposed to be doing this together in the life of the church and in the community. That's pretty interesting stuff to me, just, just about how some of that works. But he says, don't stress about your inability to protect I have a friend, I tried to find the picture on Facebook, it was pretty funny, I couldn't find it though. But um, he, his daughter uh, just got her first boyfriend, she started texting the boyfriend. So he put, and he told her he was doing it, he put all of, all of her texts also come to his iPad. And so uh, he said anytime he goes by the iPad and he sees her texting, the boy texting her, or her texting him, he sends a picture of his face. <laughs> How about that? So anytime they're doing, he's got like, like, like 40 pictures of his face. You know, anytime they're texting, he's just letting them know that he is absolutely watching what's going on. Um, that will be me. Dude, absolutely. Uh, I have another friend. His daughter just went to prom for the first time. She's a freshman in high school. Someone invited her to prom. He said no. His wife said yes. She went anyway. Um, he was not excited about it. He was trying to devise all the different ways that he could not let her go. And he, you know, he was going to, he had a huge plan. He was super worried about it. He told her her, you know, her uh, curfew was 8 o'clock, prom started at 730. Um, he was pretty worried. Like, like that makes total sense to me. The idea of protecting my children when I see this thing about protecting and, hey, that's not, that's not your job to be the total protector. Like you play, a, I play a role in that. But ultimately, that's, that's God's role. That's pretty tough. I think about, man, you go to the beach, I see kids. This will be my kid, no doubt, um, but with like eight layers of sunscreen. You know, can't even hold toys. They're so slippery. Man, these are the kind of things that we do. I saw if you, nobody actually does this, but you see kids in commercials riding bikes, and they've got knee pads and strap-in shoes and helmets and elbow pads. Um, look like the Michelin man on the bike. 
because we're so incredibly concerned about people getting hurt. I think it's pretty interesting. There's a guy, Reggie Joyner, he writes a lot of Christian, Christian books. He says this. He says, we're fine if our children never climb a mountain as long as it guarantees that they'll never get hurt. But what if your children were made for the mountains? He goes on to say, the ultimate mission of the family is not to protect your children from all harm, but to mobilize them for the mission of God. It is possible to hold on to our kids so tightly that we forget that the ultimate goal of parenting is to let go. And that's pretty tough. I didn't get how big of a deal it was when I was a freshman in college and I went to a communist country where they kill Christians and I went there, you know, to, to, as a Christian to try to share the gospel and I didn't get how scared my mom was. I'm like, you're just a worrier. Come on, I'd be scared out of my mind. I was 19. But she had a perspective that, that I was supposed to go. Um, this other pastor, J.D. Greer, he describes children like this. He says, um, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. That's the idea. You know, Scripture says, fill your quiver. You know, and that's like, fill, you know, fill up, you know, lots of arrows, lots of children. And that's the idea. And J.D. Greer says there, children are arrows in the hands of a warrior. What they're not is art. He says, because here's what you do. Arrows, you pull back uh, on the bowstring and you launch them out there. And art, you keep in your house. And the idea is that, and I know some of you are like, trust me, I don't want the kids to stay. Um, but man, the, the idea is, is we're supposed to be about preparing them to go, not protecting them from anything that may happen when they do. I concern about protection of, of kids, also sometimes concerned about protection of myself. Man, there's, you know, I, I know people all the time that say, I'm not going to go there and, and serve those people because it's dangerous. I'm not going to go to that place and do that and, and reach out to that person because there's danger for me there. Meanwhile, Jesus left heaven to come to earth and die on a cross. It's just not the precedent that he's setting forth. Life is not all about self-preservation. And I think God's word to us is stop fretting over protection and stop fretting over provision. They're important things. And they may be part of your role, but they're not for you to worry about. And they belong in the hands of God. The last thing he says in this passage is, I think, the best advice for us. This is the place where we get the answer. It's like it's easy to say, don't do those things. You know, avoid worry and anxiety and depression by, you know, not, not worrying about, you know, not fretting about all the things that, that, that may go wrong. And, and how, but how do I do that? The second half of the verse gives us the how. The solution is really simple. God says, here's what you've got to do. You've got to rest. The solution is really simple. To, to being free from all of it, he says, you must rest. He says, in vain, you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But here's some reality. God grants sleep to those he loves. You know what a God who never sleeps, never gets tired, never runs out of energy, never needs to lie down. The day is never too long. He's never, no, no part of him ever grows weary. And you know what he did after six days of working? He rested. And he didn't rest because he was tired. He, rest, he rested to show us that we are people that need to rest. It's like a parent who, who has a child and then they lay, lay them in bed at 7 o'clock and the kid will not go to sleep. And you just lay next to them for a couple minutes and you fake like you're asleep just to show them, hey, this is how you do it. 
And, and, and this is how you sit down and you rest and you relax. And this is the thing that God does for us. As he's just showing us, this is what you need. There's this idea that, that the Sabbath, that Sundays, the, the day that we're supposed to worship and rest, there's this idea that, that it's like, you know, when God first did that, he had just created the whole Garden of Eden, and then he's telling people to rest there. And there's this idea that rest is, is literally like paradise. It's just stopping and enjoying paradise. And for all the stains on my couch and whatever else is going on at home, sometimes I get home at the end of the day and I sit down on the couch and it feels like paradise. God, this is so nice. I had the longest day and I I don't need anything else. Maybe a drink. That's all else I need. And, and, And then I can finally begin to rest. And that's the idea in Scripture is absolutely we are people that need rest. Rest from making lunches and buying Neosporin and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, rest from task, but also some rest mentally. And we need to come to church and worship and rest. And what are we doing in the midst of all that rest? It's taking our mind off of us, and it's putting, us on, putting it on Christ. And it's saying, even when I'm resting, everything's going okay. And God is still in charge. Here's what he's actually saying to us. He's saying, It says, for God grants great things to to people he loves while they sleep. That's kind of what the passage means. And the idea is that for whatever you can accomplish in 12, 16, maybe you're in college and you pull all-nighters, and and, and so it's 24, 36 hours, whatever you can accomplish in all that time, God can do like that. He can accomplish all that while you're sleeping. Like he doesn't need us to do that kind of thing. I think it's pretty interesting. Did you know God designed us to sleep one-third of our lives? We need anywhere between a third and a half of our lives to be spent sleeping if we're going to really be as productive as possible. Why do you think God made us like that? He could have made us anyway. He could have, he could have said, uh, you know, I'm going to make people just like me. They're never going to get tired. They're never going to need to sleep. But intentionally, he made us rest to remember that He is God and He is in charge. And even when we're sleeping, the world turns and we wake up the next morning and our children are still there. And, then, you know, and, and, and man, God is in control even when we're not moving. I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't end. There, there's sort of an overarching truth in this, that this passage points to. And it points to, to Jesus' death and resurrection. And so anytime we talk about rest, it's pointing to Jesus. Because what Jesus says to us, Jesus in the, in the New Testament, he says, All who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me, and I will give you rest. And that's the great promise of salvation, is when, when the things you cannot do for yourself, the worry you have about eternity, is it real? Does all that matter? Am I good there? <laughs> All that worry and all that anxiety, he says, come to me and be free from all that. I will give you rest. That's rest for now. That's rest for eternity. Rest in knowing that no matter what happens the rest of my life, I'm good because I've got rest in Jesus. Jesus invites those that haven't entered into his rest. He says, He says, it's very simple. You want to become a follower of God and you want to enter into that rest. He says, just very simply, he says, profess to God that he is God. (laughs) Jesus, you are God and I follow you. 
And he says, in doing so, enter into my rest. Let me pray.